0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Josh Kraushauer, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today.
1: Hey, great to be here, Ben
0: there's a number of different developments that have been happening recently on Capitol Hill that I wanted to touch on with you uh, but first off I wanted to congratulate you on your run as the against the grain columnist and in other roles at national Journal where uh, you've you are currently wrapping things up before jumping over to axios uh, just run us through a little bit about your tenure there
1: well thank you Ben uh, I've, I've been at national Journal for over 12 years and uh, the against the grain column has lasted uh, that long. And look, I started it sort of on, on a whim that I just felt that a lot of uh, political coverage, political analysis was very, very conventional, very stale, uh, didn't focus on the voters, didn't look at, you know, what voters were saying. And, and, and that was the period of time where you saw a lot of grassroots uh blowback to, to, to what the, the party establishments were doing in Washington and and sort of a disconnect between the elites in Washington and, and what was going on actually on the ground in many states and, and jurisdictions. Uh, so I, you know, I just, you know, a lot of it, I, I like to joke that some of it was grain and some of it was against the grain. You can't be contrarian all the time. But I tried to report uh, with the best sources on both sides of the aisle and, and try to just break through the conventional coverage and come up with some in, independent insights about what's really happening in our politics. And uh, yeah, it, I'm still going to be doing that at Axios. It's not going to change. My, my sensibility is, is going to be the same, but um, it's going to be under a different title, a different brand, and it's going to be a newsletter uh, that, that I'm going to be doing uh, on Sundays starting next month. So I'm very excited about that.
0: You know, I think that one of the difficulties, and this is a criticism that I hear about uh, Washington and Washington coverage whenever I'm, Outside of DC, is people really feel like it's out of touch? They feel like it doesn't get what's really going on in the country. What do you think needs to happen journalistically in order to change that? Do you believe that that's a legitimate problem? And to what degree can the media go about uh, altering their coverage in ways that will, you know, cut through a lot of that uh, conventional mindset uh, that you know really removes a lot of things that have become real outcomes in recent years uh, from the realm of possibilities.
1: So there, there are a few things on my mind to that, to that point. I, I think one, one thing is to focus on diversity and not just racial and demographic diversity in terms of race and ethnicity, but also in terms of ideology and class and not just hiring Ivy League students from from the top schools, but to, to focus on state schools and to, and to get uh, journalists from all kinds of, of, of backgrounds that, that are from these communities that have been left behind or don't get the same degree of attention. Uh, you know, that, 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 that used to be the standard in, in, in newsrooms a generation ago, that, there, that the, the notion of being an, a journalist, being a journalist, even at, at, at a top publication, didn't necessarily mean you can't came from a very elite background, but, but that's more and more the case, and I think uh, just the reality shows that, that there's, there's a perspective a sensibility that's being missed in a lot of coverage, not all the time, but some of the time in, in, in some of these these leading publications. So I think that's a very, the diversity of all kinds, uh, very important in, in newsrooms. I also think that um, I also like to look at a lot of data and polling to to, to keep me straight, uh, but also to be you know skeptical too of, of you know and make sure you get a, a good good diversity of sources where you look at the numbers, you talk to sources on the ground, you don't just depend on just numbers, you don't just depend on uh, insiders, you get a, a varied degree of of, of sources and, and elements to how you inform your your analysis and and, and, and also uh, traveling to, to the states and districts and talking to voters, getting a sense of what people are saying, listening. Um, that 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 I I missed that in 2020. I, I think a lot of the coverage, frankly, about what happened down ballot in in the. Senate races and the House races where Republicans overperformed expectations. I think a lot of that could have been remedied if if there was more travel. pandemic shut things down. There wasn't a whole lot of coverage of some of the big candidates running for office. Susan Collins wasn't leading in any polls. She won by almost 10 points. I think if more reporters went to Maine and actually kind of focused on the campaign on the ground, talked to more voters, there would have been less of a disconnect between the analysis before the election and what happened. And that's not, I think a lot of that was pandemic related, but there's no substitute for talking to voters and, and look, listening to them and in combination with reporting from, from folks in Washington and looking at the polling out there.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about uh, what's been going on lately on Capitol Hill. Obviously, the decision was made by uh, Texas Senator John Cornyn to lean into the gun issue in a way that personally I think is pretty risky uh, going into a midterm election year in terms of the uh, the way that it could potentially undermine the strong level of support that uh, Republican candidates, conservatives have been receiving and and really, you know, uh, highlight a split within the party. Now, I don't think that necessarily, you know, does significant damage in terms of of undermining their capability of winning in November. But tell me a little bit about why this played out the way that it did and why Mitch McConnell, who is notoriously risk-averse, was willing to go along with it.
1: Well, look, on the McConnell end of things, and then the w- reason you got 14 Republican senators to, to get on board is, I think, number one, it, it, there is a widespread, if you look at the polling, widespread public opinion in favor of something needs to be done, on um, whether it's gun regulations, to, and these are small-scale gun regulations, the red flag, provisions are the most controversial in, in, in this bill. You've got the mental health funding. You've got some security, school security funding as well. Um, you know, I think for the broader public, this is not as polarizing, not as controversial as it is among elements of of the Republican base. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also think that there is like this for people who aren't paying attention to politics, who aren't as engaged in the issues. They may have issues with both parties. They may they may have they may be very supportive of the Second Amendment, but they, I also think they think Congress doesn't get anything done. There's a endless gridlock and just showing that there can be bipartisan, constructive, potentially constructive solutions to some of the problems going on in the country. I, I think that is what Cornyn is looking at um, with with uh, championing this bill. Um, for Cornyn, there's a lot of risk. Uh, I, I think it's less politically in Texas than that it is in leadership because Mitch McConnell is not going to be uh, leader of, of the party. Uh, you know, forever, and uh, there's going to be a leadership fight. John Thune, uh, who's uh, running for re-election, there was some question of whether he was going to stay in the Senate, but he's in it for the long haul. Cornyn is a trusted uh, lieutenant or former lieutenant of, of Senator McConnell. Uh, there's going to be a leadership fight, and I think this might advantage someone like John Thune, uh, who is against the, the the gun bill from a from a very conservative state like South Carolina, uh, and it may it may you know south dakota sorry so south dakota I um south dakota and uh and and cornyn this may be one of these issues that that, that's used uh you know against him Uh, majority Mm -hmm. of republicans voting against this legislation including all the republicans or i think almost all the republicans with either national presidential ambitions or folks who are on the ballot in 2022. so uh, cornyn is not up again until 2026 in texas i don't think this is going to be a driving issue by then But I do think that he may have cost himself some some capital in a
0: future leadership fight. More of the Ben Domenech podcast right after this. The Fox News Rundown. A contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Part of that has to do with The judgment call aspect of it you know like uh, the the way that conservative the talk radio media even though it's more than talk radio will be talking about this in the coming uh, months will be you know an aspect of betrayal a feeling that you know you gave biden a win that kind of thing now from my perspective and i share your view on this uh you know that doesn't actually do anything to cornyn if he decides to run again In 2026, it's hard to see uh, him uh, being beaten by a further right candidate. He's fended off uh, that kind of challenge before. Uh, The issue is more, you know, kind of a, you know, was this the right judgment call for the morning for the moment? Is this something that the the Senate, including potentially the, the new members of it, will look to as An aspect of leadership meaning something that could qualitatively benefit him oh he he's a way to have someone who could maybe get get things done or have certain leadership qualities to him versus someone like thune or is this really going to turn into an ideological scrum about you know do do we want to have a leader who is more representative of where the party is as a whole uh, on uh, on a lot of these issues, meaning someone who would presumably be to Cornyn's right, uh, even if it's not on every aspect of policy.
1: My sense is it's more the latter, just because the trend the trend lines are are, are pretty clear within the Republican Party and within within the future Republican Senate makeup. You, you have folks like Rob Portman, Pat Toomey, retiring uh, and being replaced by or likely being replaced by by more conservative. Uh, successors, JD Vance in Ohio. We'll, we'll see what what happens with Dr. Ozor if he, if he can win that seat in Pennsylvania. But but th- there is an overall trend moving to the right more ideologically, uh, and and that's where the party is. That's where the voters are. Um, so you know, look, there are a lot of institutionalists still remaining and still that still will be in the Senate come twenty twenty three. But the trend lines are clear, the momentum is clear, and and Thune has credibility too. I mean, look, I I hate to game out a leadership fight this early, there's going to be a lot of factors at play, but but Thune also has that institutionalist credibility. He has some of the same good relationships that Cornyn does with with key folks. Um, I thought it was interesting Rick Scott, um, who seems to be uh, teasing a possible leadership fight, uh, clashes increasingly with McConnell, putting himself in the ring or at least, you know, opposing this and, and trying to Thread the needle there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's going to be very it, – it, it, the, the future makeup of the Republican Party is going to really hinge on these midterm races coming up in 2022, whether more conservative, more pugnacious candidates end up winning in swing states and whether that can change and push the Republican Party rightward going forward.
0: You know, a big part of that, too, I think, is is uh, Scott's confidence in making some of these judgment calls where he and McConnell have split. You know, you saw that happen after January 6th, where McConnell was basically like Trump's toast. You know, we don't you know, uh, we're not going to be a party of, of him anymore, you know, et cetera. We're going to move on. And Scott basically made the decision to uh, basically reject a lot of the, the, the be fine with losing some of the corporate dollars and things like that, and then make up for it in small dollar donations, which, you know, was his own judgment call there but you also have to view that kind of through this lens of him you know tweaking mcconnell and and trying to push and put himself into a position to be considered as an alternative Um, especially as someone who is obviously an incredibly wealthy member of the of the senate and has relationships with these uh very wealthy supporters of of the right it's just an interesting thing and yes it is early to game it out but to me the the way that the senate has functioned under mcconnell has been so odd and and kind of ahistorical um, you know, both in terms of basically becoming an approval department for the judiciary as their primary goal, but also being, you know, a, a body that, uh, has a lot of people who really seem to dislike each other and, and don't have any hesitation anymore about making it known in a way that, uh, you know, kind of breaks a little bit with the, uh, historic period, uh, that we had been through previously, um, in terms of this, these potential new additions to the Senate. Who strikes you as being the most potentially disruptive, uh, given that they can be disruptive in in kind of different ways? But we all remember when Ted Cruz showed up, it was very clear that like he didn't care about any of the things that people were telling him that he needed to do in order to further the interest of the party. Uh, it, was, it was all about what Ted thought ought to happen. And he became a very disruptive force in a way that, say, some of the other Tea Partiers at the time were not necessarily... Who out of this current pool of people who are headed uh, potentially toward Washington from the Republican side do you think could turn out to be the most disruptive?
1: Oh, I think JD Vance would fit that bill to a T if he wins the Senate race in, in Ohio. Mm-hmm. He he is someone who understands the, uh, the elite sensibilities, so to speak, but is running um, and has run a very aggressively populist campaign, and he has sort of the celebrity and the profile and the platform, frankly, to to you know. Play play that role. Um, now I, I think look he he's got I think in you know, Ohio in this political environment it's hard to see how how he doesn't win but he he's had he's had some headwinds of his own that that, that he's going to have to face um, and I think the results whether he wins or loses how much of the vote he gets in Ohio is going to be an early test of how uh, this new brand of populism within the Republican Party is, is, is going to sell in, in in a state like Ohio I, I think you know, if he only wins by a couple points, for example, uh, that could be a warning sign that this may be, maybe McConnell's right, that, that you need a broader, more more market-tested appeal to, to a larger mm-hmm. array of voters. But if, if Vance rides with the tide, wins by double digits against a pretty good Democratic candidate, um, you know, that, that could be an early indicator of, of where the Republican Party is headed. I would also add one thing about uh, Rick Scott, um, who's the head of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. He I think what he has to do is win back the Senate majority and and not lose these these critical races. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think just winning a seat and losing some some very winnable races would not be uh, a good sign for his leadership or his national ambitions. Like ultimately, winning is 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 is, is the fundamental deodorant in politics. And if he if he can say I, I took back the Senate, I got four seats, I I got new candidates, fresh blood in the caucus, that's a huge momentum for him. But if if he loses in Pennsylvania, if he loses in Arizona with some candidates that may not be ready for, for prime time, you know, that, that, I, I don't know if he can get off the ground. It's hard to make the case to conservatives if you can't win uh, big races, if you can't win back the Senate majority.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about how you handicapped the situation in Arizona, which is obviously now one of the um, remaining situations where you have some very different candidates uh, in the mix for what everyone believes uh, or believed prior to this was going to be, uh, you know, a, a top tier uh, Senate target for Republicans. But just given some of the problems that you have with each candidate, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, well, you know, uh, he could beat Mark Kelly, but kind of conversations uh, going on even to the point where I've heard, you know, more recently that you know Nevada may be actually a better target for them. Uh, but I'm curious as to your perspective on on the different uh, feasible candidates in terms of of winning that nomination, uh, and a little more than a month from now.
1: Yeah, I mean, Arizona is a true swing state, may, maybe lean slightly Republican, but but in this environment, it should should be Republican. Um, but there there's a lot of concern about the caliber of candidates in that field uh trump just endorsed blake masters who's also championed by by peter field the, the venture capitalist who supports sort of the, the supporter jd vance sort of these populist conservative candidates uh, you know, i i i still believe like the blocking and tackling of politics matters that that going on a podcast and saying controversial things can be damaging in a swing state, um, when, when these audio clips and, and, and TV clips get played back, and that being in your face may work for Trump, but but I don't know if that translates to other candidates. So, Master, there's a lot of there's a lot of you know baggage, a lot of lot of things he said that have been coming back to haunt him. We'll see if it matters if he wins the nomination, if he if he can beat Mark Kelly as a result. But you know, when you say that, you know. One of the more underrated thinkers, I believe, is how it was phrased. That, that you would rate is the Unabomber, and you say that on TV or on you know video. Uh, yeah, that's that that's a problem. That's that's the kind of thing that might have even been disqual- disqualifying five six years ago in politics. So uh, you know, I, and, and you also have other candidates. Mark Bernovich is the state attorney general, who um, you know, to put it mildly, isn't raising the money, isn't showing any real charisma or political aptitude uh, to, to to succeed like like a, someone who's a Who's got that profile should, and you also have a third candidate, Jim Lehman, who's got a lot of money, self-funder, who, who's attacking master. That he, he seems to be a someone who's going to rely on his money to, to get his name up there and try to try to win that primary. But I think there's a lot of questions about him as well and his general election general election positioning. And look, Mark Kelly. If you look at the polling, his his numbers right now are, are pretty good. He's running well ahead of Biden. He's favorable, much viewed much more favorably than Biden. He's got a lot of money that he's spending on ads that that. Are deliberately trying to distance himself from the administration and declare his independence. And and look, Ben, in politics, perception is reality. If you if you don't have money, if you if you can't get your own message out there, and you're letting your opposition opposition define the race, that that that's that can make a big difference. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I I do see Arizona and I see Georgia and I see a lot of these swing state races as races Republicans should win given this political environment. But I also believe that, especially in the Senate, candidates matter, and a bad candidate, someone who's not broadly acceptable, can lose a, a very winnable race.
0: Let's just say, for the sake of argument, that this is a that this turns out to be the Republican wave year that most people have thought it would be for the past several months. You look at these terrible poll numbers for Biden, and you assume that Republicans are basically going to spend the fall just tying every Democrat candidate to Biden, and to his economic agenda and the like, let's assume that they perform well and that you end up with a Senate that has J.D. Vance, Dr. Oz, Herschel Walker, you know, Adam Laxalt, and, you know, pick your Arizonan. Um, How does that change the makeup of the Senate conference, Um, given that you're injecting a lot of new younger, in most cases, faces or fresher to politics faces, um, you know, people who don't have the record of being involved in uh, politics at the at the federal level,
1: it would make leadership, whoever the leader is McConnell or anyone else going forward, a lot more Unwieldy. I mean, mm-hmm. this, any one senator can really hold up business. Uh, we learned that with Ted Cruz, as you were talking about Ben earlier, uh, back back in the Tea Party days. But but any one senator can have their own profile, their own platform, and, and they can use they just, so choose to go in that direction they could use it to be quite disruptive um so i i do think uh you know i the majority of the republican senate uh, lineup is still going to be inst- establishment oriented institutional in, in its prerogatives but the more jd Vance is, the more blake masters if he wins the more oz i think is more of a wild card herschel walker a little more of a wild card but the more folks like that eric reitens is being talked about as a possible a senator be- Because of the weird nature of that primary in Missouri, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard to believe. And he's got other issues, obviously, but (laughs) to say the least. To say the least. I mean, he's like having a domestic, an alleged domestic abuser, someone who um, is literally like, you know, could could blow up the institution (laughs) figuratively. (laughs) um, That's a problem. It's hard to lead. It's hard to manage. It's going to be much more unwieldy for McConnell and, and future Republican leaders going forward.
0: More of the Ben Domenech podcast right after this. So uh, I want to move away from the Senate just to talk about the situation for President Biden at the moment. It it seems to be something that just is getting worse every day. And the White House really doesn't seem to have a good response to the different stories that are cropping up across the country. They'll complain about things. They'll point fingers, but they don't seem to have a lot of solutions that are very tangible for people, and when they do tend to offer them, people seem to almost immediately find the problems with them as as uh, as answers. Why has the White House not adjusted now versus you know waiting until after the election when you would presume a lot of adjustment will happen? You know, there are people who are out there saying the White House needs to change direction all over the place. You know, uh, not just on the right, but on the left, of course, as well and they don't seem to really be listening uh why is that and is it just a a sort of basis on in biden's personal loyalty to these people uh or was there something else going on there because every political bone in your body seems to indicate that this is a time when you ought to be making some changes uh in your priorities and in the way that you're approaching these issues
1: yeah so number one is biden is a very loyal principal he's a loyal boss and he doesn't believe in just you know shaking up his team just for the sake of shaking things up. Now I do think that there there are some severe liabilities that that certain folks have. Or you just look at the record being slow to react to the um, inflationary evidence all around us mm-hmm. and to come forever to, to realize this is a problem uh the, the bbb mess and divisions within their own party i mean the list goes on and on it's a very re- it's been a very reactive administration it's been an administration that's kind of living in its own bubble and many times far to the left of where the average american is and yeah i mean you 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 would think that there there needs to be a shake-up now there's not much that uh, a shakeup would do before the midterm elections. The, 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 the cake is baked. The, 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 that's not going to change things dramatically or even, even, even incrementally. So I can understand why he just wants to wait it out till the midterms. I think they understand this is a very tough election cycle. Um, the bigger the bigger issue isn't. I mean, it is personnel. I, I think they could use, like Bill Clinton did in 1994, 1995, some independent thinkers, some more moderate thinkers. Bring Roy Teixeira, who's been been you know writing a very uh, persuasive newsletter for the last year. He's a fellow at the Center of American Pro- for American Progress, saying, "Look, you are on cultural issues. You are way out of step with the, the American people. Even with a lot of folks in your own party, you've got to course correct." And you know. Just today, that there, some of these Title IX expansions and some of the, the rhetoric coming from the administration doesn't seem to get it, they don't seem to understand that there is a cultural disconnect that's hurting them badly with a whole swath of voters. But that aside, like, Bill Clinton showed that he could take it on the chin in a midterm and then course-correct. Uh, to some extent, Obama, in the run-up to 2012, did the same thing. Uh, the, 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 in my reporting and, and, and my writing about this administration, there is a bigger bubble effect. That, that there are some folks that do understand that they need to move ideologically, but a lot of people think it's just the messaging, or it's just the staff, or it's just just get some more young people that are that are outsiders, and then maybe they'll have a better idea. And f- there is fundamentally an ide- ideological challenge where um, that the the, the the party and the leadership and the folks who take have a lot of high positions in this administration just don't get that culturally on I mean, social issues cultural issues they are well to the left of where most americans are
0: you know i think that that's such a, an important thing to recognize and unfortunately it's one that uh, i they it seems to me that they didn't recognize until it was too late uh, that this was actually a key element of joe biden's appeal that kept that coalition together when you look at some of these poll numbers What's something that sticks out to you as being the, you know, a big indicator of how bad things have gotten for them?
1: Well, look, uh, if if Biden doesn't run for real, he says he's going to run for re-election. If he doesn't run for re-election, uh, his heir apparent, Vice President Harris, has even worse numbers than than he does, um, <laughs> and that's what I mean. That is the the subtext to a lot of this conversation about does Biden run again, and what's the future of the Democratic Party? Because th- the prospect of having someone who would be 86 at the end of his second term running for re-election, showing clear decline—I mean, he's but he's clear decline—at a time when the economy looks like it's going to be in a recession throughout 2023, or at least there's a good chance that's the case. I mean, that is a very unappealing prospect. That usually that, that that's when you have an LBJ situation where the president mm-hmm. um, steps aside, or you know, H.W. Bush is a—I think the 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 environment was actually better for H.W. Bush than what we're looking like in. 2023 2024 but you know his numbers went from the 80s to the to the 30s and 20s even um in in the run-up to his reelection uh bid so the notion that biden at his age and with the, the the reality around him it's just hard to see him running again even if he wants to but the thing that you hear worry about from democratic officials is if he doesn't run it's going to be a civil war within the party. Harris is going to run. She she retains some institutional support, but she her political aptitude, her political numbers are, are very poor. And that that would create a I you know a nasty primary centered on identity, identity lines, ideological lines that could get ugly and ugly at a time when the party is already going to be taking it on the chin. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, let's go out on this. I think that one of the things that sticks out to me in this moment is that. Uh, in in America, when you when you step back from uh, from just sort of the day to day, if even if you're not engaged in uh, the political scene, there seems to be a distinct level of unease, a feeling that things are getting worse and could kind of go off a cliff very rapidly. And you have that feeling about the economic news. You have that feeling, I would say, about, uh, you know, a lot of supply chain issues and shortages. You know, people were regular people saying, you know, I just I don't get how, you know, in America we can have a baby formula shortage or, you know, any of the other things that they're looking at. There seems to me to be this degree of of kind of running along the edge of a cliff. I wonder if that's something that you can see or that or that you if you share that opinion or if you disagree with it. Because to me, that's that's a very dangerous circumstance because it, it tends to lead people to potentially overreact to things that are going on around them in the sense that things are bad. Um, they they look a lot of different measures. Uh, you know, they look very bad, but they also you know have the potential here to be worse than uh, than it actually is on paper simply because of people's overreaction to them in a period where they feel a real lack of of leadership from Washington and from the the folks who are making significant decisions is that something that you feel is going on as well
1: you know there is always overreaction especially in our age of social media it's easy to have the snap decision and the snap criticism and not take into context the larger picture but boy i mean even even taking that out of the equation this is about as much of a malaise that the American public has felt in, in quite some time, probably at mm-hmm. least going back to the recession of 2008. Uh, when you look at the right track, wrong track numbers, you look at is the country headed on the right track? You know, how do you feel individually about your own personal circumstances? All those numbers are at pretty low ebbs, um, and they're not improving for for, uh, for for the party in power. So. Uh, and, and again, I, I think things. I'm not an economist. I, I listen to, to folks like Larry Summers and you know smart folks who are on the front lines, and, and they seem to think the worst is yet to come as interest rates go up and as growth slows and unemployment's going to have to, you know, go up. I, I think things can get worse. Like I, I think Biden's like forty percent or so job approval rating right now could go down into the into the low thirties. He's he's already showing softness with, with his own base. And if the economy is in a in a recession or you know, if we have a real extended lull, that could uh you know, really cost him not just with with swing voters and, re- and certainly Republicans, but, but with even some core Democratic voting blocks. Uh, and he's not shown the vibrancy or the the charisma or the leadership skills to get himself out of the the ditch that, that he's he's in right now. So, I mean, I am more on the pessimistic side of things um, in terms of just how the I don't I don't think the public mood is is going to get better. I think, you know, one way of uh, you know turning things around is just showing energetic leadership from from the bully pulpit, and we're not seeing that. Um, from the white house and certainly the objective indicators are very very pessimistic and very uh, dismal right now
0: josh thanks so much for taking the time to join me today thanks ben i'm ben Dominic. you're listening to another edition of the ben Dominic podcast brought to you by fox news we will be back soon with more to dive back into the fray